as we look back on 2020, crazy year, um, I think you would all agree that we've seen a great lack of peace in our culture. A great lack of peace. In fact, a lot of conflict all over the country, whether it be political or whether it be COVID-19. Um, just uh, uh, we were talking to a pastor uh, down in the south. He's about my age, did a church plant. And uh, he said to our lead pastor in Mitchell, he said, you know, we have been through so many things over the last 20 years. But he said, it's a mask that's going to take this church down. Conflict, upheaval, lack of peace. As a result of politics, COVID-19, there's a rise in divorce, depression, and even suicide. And so we live in a culture um, where people walk away. I even heard Grant recently talk about cancel culture. People don't stick it out. They walk away. They get bitter. Some even get even. But even in this context, we as believers are not to cancel. We're not to walk away. Our passage today is out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. We as God's people are his conduit of grace exactly where he's placed us to be his light, his salt. And part of that is being peacemakers. You know, I do a lot of biblical counseling. Been doing it a lot, a lot of years. It's my role at uh, the church we fellowship at now. And I see couples come into my office and they just want to cancel their spouse out. They're done. They're worn out. But as believers, even if a husband is at odds with his wife, he doesn't have the, the luxury of leaving to avoid the problem or to be true to himself and not be bitter, God commands that believing couple to make every effort to work it out and not walk out. Uh, in your handout today that I've given one per family, if you can open that up, this is from Peacemaker Ministries. It's a guy named Ken Sandy, wrote this a long time ago. Gary and I have had this on our shelves since the 1980s. Um, you can read the material. I won't go that much into it. But you'll see right here in the middle the slippery slope. See that right there? Now, don't start reading all the stuff above it. I'm going to go into that as we talk today. In fact, I'm going to have you put this down when we're done with it right now. Because I know some of you are already like, wow, okay, got it. And uh, we won't get you back for five minutes. So, uh, But look at that slippery slope. Look at how important peacemaking is. As you look at that, that left side of the top, that blue, green, whatever it is, that's when you run into conflict and difficulties and you're trying to work it out yourself through maybe negotiation, seeking reconciliation, or maybe even overlooking the offense. See that? That's you personally trying to work that out. But if you don't, look at where it could go. Denial, flight, and even suicide. And on the right side, we see sometimes we need other believers in the body of Christ to help us 
work through difficulties and conflict, you have uh, mediation, arbitration, accountability. And so God has provided us these things to work through problems if we can't do it one-on-one. But look what happens if that is not dealt with. Assault, litigation, even murder. So peacemaking, you can put that away now. Thank you. Peacemaking is very important to God. You know why? Because our God is all about relationships. Our triune God lived in perfect harmony within the Godhead in eternity past without us. But because he's so relational, he created man in his image and ultimately for his glory. Our God is all about relationship because he's a relational God. And so as we look back on this crazy year, What are we to do as believers in the midst of this context? Listen, if you know Christ, and I know that the gospel of Christ is being preached from this pulpit week in and week out, whether it's Kevin, whether it's Gary, or whether it's Grant. What was that? Yeah, amen. But because of the gospel of Christ, we all have peace with God. We all have been able to partake, as Grant talked about last week, of the new covenant in his grace. And now with that new covenant, we not only have peace with God, but he has made it possible through the gospel for us to what? Have peace with each other and to be peacemakers in whatever context he's placed you in. You know, as a pastor and getting to talk about relational wisdom, I'm excited because pastoring for the last 20, 30 years and doing a lot of counseling where I don't get to see people until the conflict has gotten to the boiling point. What I love about relational wisdom which is basically tools in Scripture of how we're to get along. What relational wisdom is, is it gets upstream from the conflict and gives us as believers the tools to avoid the conflict. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The Bible has a lot to say about relationship. Blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. You know, it's interesting because that verse ends with this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Do you realize that peacemaking is an indicator of a genuine believer? Yes, peace relationally this way, but we're also peacemakers in terms of the gospel of men and women and young people being at peace with God. And so um, God's given us some real responsibility. I want you to look just, you don't have to look, I'll just read these so you don't have to look these up, but just a couple scriptures on how we're to be peacemakers and how we're to do that in very, very um, intentionally 
and, and very, very passionate. Listen to a couple verses here. First one's out of Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans a little bit further, chapter 14, verse 19. So let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. Now, I know Grant has talked to you about the sovereignty of God, that God is so sovereign over all things actual and possible, and that nothing as believers happens in our lives that's not outside of his plans and his purposes for our good and his glory. Those aren't mutually exclusive, right? And so if God is sovereign, now God does not create evil, but nothing in your life happens outside believer his plans and purposes for you. It's no accident. Now let's connect the dots. Therefore, God uses conflict and provides us with a unique opportunity to bring him glory. God uses conflict to grow you less dependent on you and more dependent on him. God uses conflict in our lives to display his glory, to help you grow, and to provide opportunities for the gospel of Jesus. I remember growing up, there was nine people in our family, seven kids. <clears throat> so let's just say this. There was some conflict in our household. <clears throat> and that was in the days where you didn't have seat belts and car seats. So my dad could get a pretty good swing in the station wagon the Brady Bunch station wagon. If we, that's why I love sitting in the very back seat facing back. Yes, I would risk being nauseous and breathing. You know, that's probably where all my hair went, breathing all those exhaust fumes. But at least I was out of dad's swing. But I remember as we grew up and, and even as adults having some friction in the family. And I remember uh, telephone calls with my dad and talking to him. And he goes, she's your sister. Work it out. And that was in the days of a dial tone. Work it out. She's your sister. But listen, folks, how much more in the body of Christ, the metaphor that the scripture uses more than any other metaphor to describe the body of Christ is what? Family. And so we as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ are to work it out. I mean, God just like work it out through peacemakers we get the opportunity from time to time to help people in conflict I remember one mediation <clears throat> long long time ago but it was a mother-in-law and her daughter in wait yeah daughter-in-law and yeah you get it it's her son's wife they were at odds, and it had gotten so bad it was starting to really affect them. So they came in for us to do uh, a mediation, a biblical mediation, a peacemaking mediation. <clears throat> and I won't go into a lot of details on this particular one, but listen how God used that. As we, what we do typically in a mediation is, is we get uh, the parties together. They each get to share their own story without interruption. We also give them an advocate that comes alongside of them. 
for the breakouts as they worked toward the next session. So they both got to share their story uh, without the other side responding. Then they came back, and the second phase is that each side confessed their contribution to the problem. And it's amazing to see God work when there's genuine humility and repentance. So, so the daughter-in-law started sharing what she had done wrong and where she had sinned against her mother-in-law. And then the mother-in-law, who was, frankly, as they say down by us, all ate up with bitterness, right? She started going, well, you weren't that bad. Actually, that was my fault. And then all of a sudden, before we could even get the mediation started, God was already healing Why? Because each person was taking care of their own contribution to the problem. There was repentance. And and through that, we gave a homework assignment on biblical forgiveness. And here the mother-in-law, who is a card-carrying church member for 20 years, realized as she saw the grace of God in the person of Christ and how he forgives us, she realized she wasn't a believer And so God used this, what you would look at as an horrible conflict between a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, and God used it to bring the mother-in-law to saving faith in Christ. All God. So God will use even the conflict in our lives for his glory. I'm going to do what Grant does at this point. I'm going to pray and uh, ask for God's blessing and for me to stay out of his way so that he speaks through me to you as a conduit of his grace. Let's pray one more time. God, we thank you so very much for your word that gives us what we need according to 2 Peter chapter 1, everything we need for life and godliness. Father, we live in a combative culture. We live in a culture, Lord, that is void of peace. And yet, Lord, you have not taken us home. You have called us to be in this culture in unique places to be your light and your salt. So I pray, God, that I would uh, be a, a conduit of your grace today, that I would stay out of your way. And, Lord, that your people would be more in awe of you at the end of this whole thing, but, but better equipped to be your light and salt where you have placed them. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at the four G's. It's in your pamphlet. You don't have to open there because I don't want you to read it. Um, But this is based on the four G's that Ken Sandy came up with in peacemaking. So the first G of peacemaking is to glorify God. To glorify God. You might say, well, I already know that. Well, you know, Peter, toward the end of his life, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, says, I remind you, I remind you, I remind you, I remind you. Why do you think he said that? Amen. Amen. We forget. So you probably know a lot of this stuff, and I'm here just to remind you. Isaiah 43, 7 says this, Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Your and my greatest purpose in life is to bring glory to God. It's what we were created for. I always like to say it this way. You have a much more grand purpose in life than getting your way. 
You have a much more grand purpose in life than being happy. If you name the name of Jesus today, you were created for his glory. And here's the amazing thing. Typically, when we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us, the apostle Paul, when we live for his glory, guess what happens? We find that happiness coming through the back door that we were seeking in the first place. If you're an engineer, God's got the schematics of you. And he knows the only way this is going to be happy and satisfied is when you're full of him. When you're no longer living for yourself, but for him who loved you and gave himself for you. Isaiah 43, 7. Open to, I'm not going to have you open a lot, but if you, if you have a Bible and you can open there, great. If you can't, I'm going to read it. So that's fine too. I know normally you have them up on the screen, but uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, probably a verse that most of you can quote, but I think it's a good verse at this point. That would be 1 Corinthians 10.31. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. We're to glorify God in everything. You know, we think, well, God's not really interested in the little deal here or the little bill over here or the problem with our child over here. No, no, God's into it all. And, and we're to do everything, the big stuff and the small stuff for the glory of God. I, I remember one of our good friends, we're still in contact with him from years and years ago in California in a church plant out there, she, she, she was emphatic. She just said, you, uh, you know what God's called me to do? We said, what, Teresa? She goes, clean toilets. She goes, that's my calling. And I didn't appreciate it that much back then, but we look at a verse like this, and everything we're to do, it's attitudinal. We do for the glory of God. So listen, mom or dads, I used to say in the 80s, moms, but now I need to be politically correct. Mom and dads, when you're changing that diaper, do it to the glory of God, right? When you're sweeping, when you're doing whatever you do, do it all, double underline, for the glory of God, because that's what you and I were made for. Much more grand purpose than just being happy. So we glorify God in everything, including, you ready for this? Your relationships. Remember, our God's all about relationships. In a parable about the steward, a steward is somebody who takes care of something entrusted to them. Matthew 25, you don't have to open there. Matthew 25, 21 says, Jesus, in this parable, well done, my good and faithful servant. <clears throat> You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Now, here you go. Do you realize that every relationship that you have right now and every relationship you will have, God's entrusted that relationship to you to steward? So here's my question. How are you stewarding the relationships God has entrusted to you. 
Gary was sharing about his interaction with a pastor in this community and the guy would say, I just, at least let's, can we talk once a week? And Gary says, I can, I can top that. How about we meet and we walk a couple miles and then we pray together. Praise the Lord for examples of stewarding what God has entrusted to Gary. You can't tell me, well, you know, in terms of the tension in my household, I really haven't had time. Folks, we've been in quarantine since last March. <laughs> that one doesn't hold anymore. How are you stewarding your work, co-workers? How are you stewarding your neighbors? Do you even know your neighbors? How are you stewarding the gift that you have here? You, you all have a gift here at Franklin. How are you stewarding the relationships God's asked us to steward? Are we using them for his glory? Ken Sandy writes this, God has given us tools, relational tools, so it doesn't say relational. God has given us tools so we can find freedom from impulsive, self-centered decisions that only make conflict worse and choose in our relationships to please and glorify God instead. Often people, when they go through the relational wisdom stuff that we do in churches or or when we get a chance to do marital counseling, you know invariably what people come up and say? They say, where were these tools 20 years ago when I said I do? <clears throat> where were these communication tools in my workplace? They're here. They're here. So we glorify God in all of our relationships. Number two, the second G, get the log out of your eye. <clears throat> get the log out of your eye. I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Working, <clears throat> excuse me. Let me get a water here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Gary, can I ask a big favor of you? I know you got lungs on you. Can you read Matthew 7, 1 through 5 nice and loud for me while I drink this water? Thank you. Okay, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you not you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Mm, thank you. So attacking others only invites counterattacks, right? Therefore, Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount teaches us to face up to our own contributions to the conflict before we focus on what others have done. We need to get, and this is a Davism, we need to get the log, yes, splinter, maybe it's just a limb, out of our own eyes first, okay? And some people, I don't know, maybe one of you, are experts at seeing the logs in other people's eyes. I've known Christians that had like PhDs, if they could give a degree in this. They're very good at seeing the logs in other people's eye, but maybe needed some work on seeing the log in their own eye. 
<clears throat> when we, with God's help, overlook minor offenses, this is Ken Sandy, and honestly admit our own faults, those we're in conflict with often respond in kind. And as tensions decrease, the way may be open for sincere, productive discussion, negotiation, and possible, possible reconciliation. <clears throat> in fact, typically <clears throat> in um, marital counseling, often that first session or second session are usually pretty dicey. And, and we get a lot of this kind of nonverbal. And sometimes it's even vocal. Well, listen, if you just fix him, then this problem's going to be solved. <clears throat> and, and where they're sitting on the extreme ends of the couch, and he's on this far end of the couch, he goes, oh, yeah, if you just fix her, this problem will be solved. But here's what I found. <clears throat> it's only when both own up to their piece of the pie that we start making progress toward biblical restoration. Now, granted, it might be 90% of the problem are him and 10% for her, but she's got to own her 10%. And if she deals with her own splinter and this guy over here deals with his own law, guess what happens? It gets fixed to the glory of God. The passage that uh, Pastor Gary read from, uh, we're going to only look at the first half, but listen to the, the attitude we're to bring in in peacemaking. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another to be the attitude we're to bring in peacemaking. We're going to look at the second half of that and gospel implications here in a minute. But when we deal with our own splinter, limb, or log, coming at it with humility and meekness and patience, we're going to get the gospel implications and God can work with that. You know, part of our problem is, and I won't go into this, it's a whole bunny trail, but um, part of the problem with a person that's really good at seeing the log splinter and limbs in everybody else's eye but failed to see it in their own is the deceptiveness of our own hearts. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can discern it? And a lot of people quote that verse, but they miss the very next verse. Verse 10 of Jeremiah 17, 10 says, But I, the Lord, search the heart. It's almost like the Lord brings the light of his word and he searches the heart. And even the person that can see it in everyone else, when they come with a humble, open heart, the word of God shines that light on their heart and seeing they've got work to do too. They've got a log too. And I love the power of God's word to shine light on our own hearts because frankly, sin can be very stealthy, especially in our own hearts. Jeremiah, who can even discern it? But I, the Lord, search the heart. We gotta see our own contribution to the problem. So we've seen in peacemaking, the four G's glorify God, 
Second one is get the log out. The third G is gently restore. Gently restore. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. If you remember that diagram, the second side of the top had to do with you trying to resolve conflict personally one-on-one, right? But if that doesn't work, we have the body of Christ. You have elders here. You have each other here to help you work through a problem. So there's going to be times in your life, and it might not be an official sitting across the desk from Gary or or Grant or, or Kevin, but it might be on a phone call. You might be God's conduit of grace in that person's life to be the peacemaker who God uses to restore. You ready for that? And we're to do so gently. Because our God is a God who is a God of relationships. And he values especially his sons and daughters that we get along. And God's given us everything we need to start here to be at peace with each other. Let me just read you, don't open here, but a, a couple verses. Matthew uh, 5.24, a little further down in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you're at odds with a brother or sister, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. And then you fast forward to Matthew 18. If your brother sins, there's the word again, go and deal with it in private. Just a couple things from these two verses I want to bring out that are important to peacemaking here in our third G. The first is that peacemaking involves both the offender and the offendee. When you look at those two verses, the one in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, you're saying, well, I'm just going to wait till she comes and apologizes. No, whether you're the offendee or the offender, you and we as believers are to go and be reconciled. So you're not off the hook. The second thing Jesus teaches, especially in the Sermon on the Mount verse, is how important the relationships he has entrusted to you are to him. I was amazed as I started getting involved in peacemaking and all this, how much the Bible talks about how we're to get along and how we're to love each other. And and in doing that, we become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Listen, if you name the name of Christ, listen to me. Your unsaved family members are watching. Guaranteed. If you name the name of Christ in your workplace, your co-workers are watching. And we're to be the light of the world. We're to be conduits of his grace. Okay, I'm bunny trailing now. Back to my, back to my message. This is really probably the most important one here. God is so concerned about the relationships that he's entrusted to you wherever he has called you 
that if you're at odds, especially with another believer, it's going to hinder your worship. I would dare say it's going to stop the worship about as high as the ceiling is right here. So I don't, the nice thing about being a guest speaker, frankly, I don't know you guys. I, I want to get to know you better. But maybe when you come up here and Josh is leading in, in music, and what's the drummer's name? Tim, Tim. Tim, they're up here leading. And maybe you're just thinking about what you're going to have for lunch today. Or, or maybe you're just not into it. and there's not. Maybe your worship is being hindered because your relationships are hindered. Leave your offering there. Go make it right. Go be a peacemaker. Go reconcile. And then you come back and then guess what? You're worshiping God again. And he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. But God takes your relationships, my relationships, so seriously that when those are, are off this way, he goes, you go get that right. Remember the verse we looked at at the beginning? As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, there are going to be times where you can't reconcile that relationship, but as long as you've done everything that you can do, you come at it with a clear conscience, then just worship. Philippians 3, there are those occasional relationships where we have to move on into our upward call in Christ. I'm not talking about that. It hinders your worship. It grieves the Holy Spirit when we're at odds with each other. You know, some people would say, you're a three and a half old year church plant. Uh, you're still in your honeymoon phase. I don't like that kind of talk. Because if we're really God's people, you know, we should almost be excited about Jesus, excited to serve the Lord at whatever phase. You know, remember parents like, oh, you're going into the terrible twos. I enjoyed Carly when she was two. You know, it, it, it's, well, you get it. You see, reconciliation has been made possible this way because through Christ, reconciliation has been made possible this way. <clears throat> I'm going to read that verse that Gary read, and I focused on the attitude in the first half of Colossians, but now I'm going to focus on the gospel implications on the second half of Colossians 3, 12 through 14. This is so good. If you got your Bible, I would like you to open there. If not, I will read it. That's fine. But we're getting to the gospel core of peacemaking here in Colossians. So remember, the first part's the attitude. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, here we go, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these, the overarching put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. I remember I've been a Christian for since 1976. I don't know what the math is, just a long time. And I remember a guy that I thought was this super old man, and I realize now he's probably about my age now. He, he just says, you know, I just, uh, you'll, you'll just spend your Christian life getting your mind around the gospel. And I go, 
<coughs> moron. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the gospel is just the door we walk in to get into Christianity. But now as I look back, that guy was a seasoned believer who knew what he was talking about, getting our mind around the gospel of grace. And it's not just a door we walk through to get into Christianity, but it's an umbrella that we live under. And when we get the gospel, it affects all of our relationships, our marriage, everything. And I'm still trying to get my mind around the gospel now, 40-whatever years later. You can tell I didn't major in math in school. Folks, we as believers who have been forgiven and washed clean and adopted and accepted because of what Christ has done should be the most gracious, forgiving people on the planet. Amen. Because, listen, you might not like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. There has been nothing done against you that's any worse than what you've done against God. But as believers, he has forgiven you of that sin, and it is now as far as the east is to the west. And when we get the gospel of grace, we become, listen, givers of the gospel of grace. I love Grant's message last week. God has covenanted with us. In the new covenant. And now I know there's a Franklin City Church covenant. You covenant with each other. Wow. So, what does this all mean? We've talked about the glory of God in peacemaking. We've talked about getting the log out of our eyes in peacemaking. We've talked about being conduits of grace to gently restore those who aren't at peace or in conflict. And then we talked about reconciliation, which has been made possible through Christ. Now we go and reconcile. So what does this all mean for us by way of application? Well, we have the opportunity to display Christ in our lives. Remember, he's steward. God's all about relationships. And he wants you to steward your relationships, mine. This is how you'll know that they're mine, Jesus said. I'm paraphrasing it by the love they have one for another. How they work through stuff. How they have peace with each other. It's not that we're not going to have problems or always be in the honeymoon phase. It's just having the tools to work through them to the glory of God. So, as we look, we're only a couple months into the new year. As you look forward, how do you apply this kind of a message? You ready for the answer? I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. All right? But let me just put forward a couple scenarios. If it hits home, it's between you and God. Maybe there are some people in your life that you know uh, need to forgive each other. And maybe God wants to use you to be that Galatians 6-1 person to be the peacemaker. Okay, there's one. Maybe, number two, there's some relationships in your life that you need to better steward. Gary, Kevin, Grant, 
They're there to help. You don't have to do this alone. Three, maybe you need to get your mind more around the gospel of Christ and the grace of God there so that you're not, as Paul David Tripp says, stingy with grace, but you become a conduit of God's grace. Maybe there's sometime in your life been someone who's hurt you deeply, wounded you deeply, Maybe like that mother-in-law, you need to ask God for the strength to forgive them and let it go. Do you realize it's okay? He says, but I just can't. You don't know what happened to me. No, I don't. But God does. And it's not a bad place to be weak and to be broken and to say, I don't have the ability to do that. God's all, finally, whew, it took 20 years to get you to that point. Now stand aside and watch God heal and bring forgiveness and restoration that you and I could never do on our best day. But as much as it depends on you, strive for peace. Oh, as we look forward to 2021, may we be a different people than what we're seeing on the news, that we're seeing in Washington, D.C., that you might even see around you in your workplace and your neighbors. It's all over. But there's a reason that God hasn't taken you home yet. Right? There's work to do for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. And so God will use even the hardships, even the conflict for his glory to grow you, to bring the gospel to people who desperately need the gospel, and to be sowers of peace because our God is a relational God. And he calls us to be his relational people. Let's pray.